the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together and time to catch up. Uh, We're going to give peace a chance in just a minute. We'll give peace a chance. Uh, In a few moments after that, we'll talk with Ted Malik. Ted Malik, our great friend. He's got another piece over at American Greatness. I am trying to uh, get through uh, to Mickey Kaus. Uh, we were exchanging texts. We'll talk with Mickey and we'll get Todd Benzman, I think, tomorrow on uh, the immigration stuff. But we'll see. Uh, but first, what you need to know, what you need to know uh, today is, uh, first of all, let me just make two points. One, uh, about um, where to go to watch and to get information. And two, uh, a specific policy point at this point. First, Tucker Carlson is extraordinary. Now, Tucker Carlson has always been, as long as he's been in sort of public life, uh, a writer, well-known. He's written books, but written lots of columns. And he's been a uh, high-energy uh, personality, too. He was on, I think, Crossfire originally. He's been around for, you know, 25 or 30 years. But the Tucker Carlson show right now, and especially his opening uh, monologue, is so well-written, it's extraordinary. And I encourage you to go and get the um, get the uh, opening, the opening monologue of his, um, the uh, uh, for the the um, couple of days ago. The one, the one that I'm referring to is uh, when he's talking about uh, Donald Trump, America First, and Lindsey Graham. And so you say, what is that? Well, how's that all pieced together? It's so good. It's so well written. It's so tight. It's just extraordinary. It really is amazing to watch uh, him. And he's really valuable. He's really, really valuable uh, because of how good his writing is and how good his thinking is and, and the research. He's got a team. You know, he's got a team. It's impressive. So um, now, what's my second point? What is he talking about? He's talking about the war. And here I will segue to, I called a friend of mine. He's recently retired, sold his business, and is uh, living in Florida with his wife. They have a, a, a bunch of kids and grandkids. They have a wonderful life. And we were talking, and he said, I'm worried about Ukraine. I want them to get peace. I have a 15-year-old grandson, meaning who people that would get pulled into a war. And he, my, my, of course, my son is 16. And 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 here's the thing. We're, I don't think anybody in the swamp realizes how significant the number of people in this country uh, that don't want war, that want this to stop, how, how big that number is. That's kind of what Tucker was talking about, uh, but not really. He was talking about other stuff about Lindsey Graham and America First and Donald Trump and how there's always a, a, a professional senatorial class that will say they're with you, but they'll really be uh, shooting you down. And they, they did that to Trump and blah, blah, blah. It's really good. But I'm making a different point. I'm saying to you that most of America, by a large majority, want peace. And most of America doesn't care about how the peace, the contours of it. I think we all might object if Russia took all of Ukraine. I think that's right. 
maybe not all of us. Maybe there's some people who think that would be okay. I, I, I think that would be bad. I think it would be bad if, if, if Russia rolled up all of the Ukraine. But under Obama, he rolled up Crimea and made it part of Russia. And nobody disputes that now. And my point is this, is just that more people than ever want peace. And they don't want peace based on some aspect of this. They're not thinking of, oh, I really want to liberate Ukraine. No, they just want peace. A nuclear power is fighting with another power. And we are supplying tanks. And now we're talking about giving planes, jets, F-18 fighters. And we're pretending that it's okay to even talk about this and not have, if you, if you, pardon me, if you're a Russian person, forget about the leadership, but if you're a Russian person and you hear that America is, is, uh, is, is stocking up on, uh, oper- is, is, um, finding opportunities repeatedly to, uh, to give your enemies, the people you're fighting, lots of, uh, uh, weapons, defensive and otherwise. What would you think? You think, man, America must hate us. Man, America must hate us because the Ukraine's not an ally, according to the formal uh, t- a treaty that treaty that the NATO is. They're not an ally in other ways, and they're willing to, to fight this proxy war. Think of it. Try to walk a minute, walk a foot in the shoes of the other guy. And more importantly, it just doesn't matter. We don't want more wars. These people in Washington that think they can jive us into another war, that somehow it's so important for American treasure, tens of billions now of dollars, go over to Ukraine. And American soldiers and and civilians training because we're spending gazillions of dollars. And why? Because we want what? We want to degrade Russia? I don't care to degrade Russia this way. If that's the plan, no one said that, by the way. No one has said it. Here's the thing. Uh, what I what I think is extraordinary, and what you need to know is there's not no one that's really allowing the will of the people to be heard because the Republicans, most of them want to be strong on the military, and they, they want to stand up to the, to the Russian bear, I guess. I don't know why for Ukraine, but and the Democrats just want to cause trouble for Russia, and they just want to. I, I don't know that the, you know the, the at this point the neocon they call it the neoconservative the the block of people that want to be this muscular we're going to be dominating the world. Uh, it's extraordinary and it's too big and too powerful because let me say it's too powerful because it's not the will of the people. And you start to say to yourself, what is going on here? And it's follow the money. Right. It's follow the money. It's back to follow the money. If you follow the money, you discover that lots of people benefit from having a war. They benefit from power. They benefit from production. They benefit from expertise. It's high times if you're in that industry. You know, it's 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 great. But it's bad for the country. And when Donald Trump gets up and he says he puts out a a statement, he says, we need to get peace. I would have gotten peace. But no matter what, we need peace now. Because we can't get to the brink of, 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 of a nuclear war with a nuclear power. This is stupid. I think more and more people are looking up going, I'm on that side. And what you need to know is the fact that the powers that be still think they can do this, fight a proxy war, and and not understand what the people want. Because my friend that told me that he's worried about this and wants peace is a guy that I would have thought 
would have been like, yeah, let's go, you know, let's go stand up to Russia. I would have thought he would have been in that camp. He wasn't at all adamantly opposed. So we've got to do something different. What you need to know today, that's all we got. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back and talk with Ted Malik and uh, a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in uh, with our old friend. He's writing. He is writing. You know, he's like uh, the the late Phyllis Schlafly used to say, all she does seems to be she never stops writing. Ted Malik, of course, uh, is a well-known uh, author of books. He has been a businessman, a professor uh, all over the world. And, of course, now he writes a column on, on, once or twice a week, uh, sometimes twice a week, over at American Greatness, among other places. This uh, week, the most recent column, I shouldn't say it's this week only uh you can't trust them the world economic forum has a narrative for you uh welcome back ted how are you uh very well and it is very much a question can you or can't you trust them it's um well uh, so in your experience again I, you say this carefully because i'm kind of asking a question that i as i say it then you can you can chuckle but you've been around a while you you know you you've been, you haven't been around for twenty years. You've been around for uh, you know a couple you know twice that. Or in terms of business at the highest level, is it worse now, or do we finally just know stuff? No, uh, I, I would say anecdotally and uh, observationally, and that could be measured statistically, survey after survey. Gallup has done the survey for decades. Um, Things have gotten bad, worse, and I would say they're right now at rock bottom. And but uh, what I also mean is um, the sort of arrogance of how things are. And it, uh, you mentioned one of the chapters. You know, um, financial markets appear rigged, as do voting procedures. And after the Bankman-Fried yeah. scandal, um, you know that 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 looked like a fraud. So, but I guess. Were things always uh, uh, problematic? Let's say, let's stick with government. No, no, no. Well, okay, we'll stick with government first. You, you observe the government. You know, you, you say, well, the American government, they, they, there was always sneaky guys doing some stuff, right? There was always some things happening. Is it yeah. worse today, or do we just? Yeah, know it? So I, I would say in my lifetime, it's gone from in all these categories. We could talk about finance, academics. We could talk about business. We could talk about government. It's gone from where things used to be an aberration. In other words, oh, my God, you know, this scandal occurred, or this is a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, fall off of trajectory, to now it's so commonplace that you almost yawn. I would say it's almost the case, uh, this is very hard to put, but I say it in this article, that no one trusts anyone. Well, and I would put it the other way. I'd flip it around. I think we've talked on the air. We're talking again with Ted Malik, his pieces over at American Greatness, and I'll put it up there. Um, and the title is, uh, is, uh, you can, you can, you can trust them. The World Economic Forum has a narrative for you. Um, I, I've, I've said that the thing got flipped on its head, whether Reagan really meant it or not. Well, here we are. It's, it's distrust and verify. The starting point is you can't trust them and then you got to go verify. It. And you got to see if what they're telling you is true. Now, uh, World Economic Forum, uh, the same question that I just asked you about government. It feels, seems, looks like 
they're worse than ever in the sense that they're uh, more dismissive of, of sovereignty. They're more. Uh, but is that is that because we're seeing it and they used to do it, but we wouldn't see it? You know, we were busy and didn't have the ability to see it. Or is it gotten worse? No, they have more audacity than they've ever had. I was on the board of the World Economic Forum, as you know, in the late yeah. 80s, early 90s. And while it had some globalist pretensions, it was basically an economic forum to bring people together to cooperate and do business deals. It has become something very different from that, and it is today what I call, uh, you know, the, you know, this uber elite of uh, reset uh, trenders with the Wizard of Oz, Klaus Schwab himself, trying to do the Great Reset. So they are uh, at the center, at the hub of quote, in their words, saving the world, making so, it more woke. So here's the thing. Here's the trick in my mind. Um, that they all say this now, and they'll agree with you, as you point out. Uh, Bill Bill Gates, I, I think, is he the one that said decreased trust is our biggest obstacle? Is that what he said? Um, I, is that it, it, so it, he's isn't that a brilliant statement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic because it basically means we don't want you, you to you shouldn't be asking any questions, little person. But 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 it, my point in this is that you're going to just like in the last in the last election, they said democracy is on the ballot. Well, it was what we didn't know is that the democracy was on the ballot is, you know, wholesale influencing of our elections by the social media giants, by the intelligence community. And by I mean, there's nothing democratic uh, no. about the the constitutional about what happened. And and they say what they're actually doing. In this case, Bill Gates is saying decreased trust is our biggest obstacle. He did that. I mean, he's the one that did that. He's he's one of them. One of, one of them. Uh, and as I say, it's not just trust that they want us to place their trust in these global institutions. They also, most importantly, want us to obey them. There is this uh, totalitarian, authoritarian kind of twist. But I go down the list, you know, is there anybody, you can read my whole list and make it longer if you like, is there anybody, any institution that anyone trusts anymore? I mean, even Spare has, has destroyed the royal family. Well, and I, I, that's funny you say that. I'm, I, I, you just triggered in my memory. Two nights ago, I was with a guy from England, and he said um, the queen was really a serious Christian and a, mm -hmm. a devout person, and her death, he said, is the end of, in a certain sense, of of because they're just such a mess. The the rest of the the, the royalty is is just a you know it's an, a a modern postmodern mess, and you see it all the time. But to your point, um, well, well, let's talk about this. Um, who do you trust? Families trust each other, right? I mean. You have to go all the way down to that i know but um there's there's uh i mean i think there's a growing sense of finding your tribe uh finding your group and and trusting does that count well i think we have you know returned to that kind of uh um what could you say tribalism mm -hmm. um the um you know the, the nature of kinship and, and family right uh, i think you know with, with families the families don't exist anymore, Ed. You know, they're they're really an anomaly. Uh, so uh, for those of us who have them, yeah, there's some excellent trust in them. They're not as personal, as close, as extended, or as intimate as they used to be. I mean, I, I talk to my friends. They see their family if once or twice a year or, you know, occasionally on a telephone call. It's not the, right. not the family we grew up with. Right. 
Um, so you get to the end of this piece. We're talking with Ted Malik, and I will always tell people that um, I can picture the late Phyllis Schlafly leaning on the door jam of my office in St. Louis, and she just finished a book. She was finishing a book called uh, Who Killed the American Family, and she said, I got it all laid out. Now, uh, yeah, I get this, 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 that's who did it. Now I got to say, what do we do? What do we do going forward? I mean, you know, what's the revival? What's the uh, possibility? I know, um, you know, I know you you have talked about return to faith and and religious revival, but but in terms of knitting together, what's the what's the future? What's the what's the best way forward? Well, I, I um, relate in this article uh, uh, a, you know, a, a product or. Uh, a set of products from the Edelman uh, Trust Barometer and their essays from the credential leftist academics and NGOs, um, you know, decrying the loss of trust and the need to, here's an original term for you, build back better. <laughs> um, and they come up with some very oxymoronic stuff. The first one is called trustworthy government. Um, wow. uh, then they talk about jobs and, you know, <clears throat> leadership, all the buzz, you know, being um, revolving around inclusiveness and the fight against climate change and, you know, BLM, et cetera, et cetera. They call, uh, well, they use a new word that I hadn't used before, infodemic. Hmm. Um, and they would like us to just follow the rules and the dictates of the world economic form because polarization is the root of all evil. And misinformation makes us pawns, my word, suspicious. And we don't want that or any form of extremism. So our critical instrument to rebuild trust will be mainstream media. Wow. Yeah, how do you like that? So at the end, I say, so much trite verbiage and pure excrement, (laughs) all from the woke advertising firm guiding world affairs. As I said, trust is at an all-time low for a reason. It, yeah, it is. And, and, but, 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 but what's the, what's the way forward? I mean, what is, I agree with you. And then it's important for people to see it. Um, I think most Americans actually feel it, even if they haven't seen your piece. No. They say, I know we, they know uh, it's off. The question is, uh, how do we get, you know, what, what do we go forward with? Uh, the, the fact is it takes years and years, if not a generation to rebuild trust. So it's, it's not something that's done waving a wand or even electing a new president. It's a long, habitual process and one that's deeply formed around character. So we've talked about this before. Not easily done. Uh, reputations and trust can be lost in a nanosecond. It takes a long time to build them back. We need to start to do some of those things to build them back, but those things include things that the left does not want us to do. And that means religious faith. It means independent and free education. It means character development, and it probably means on the political side, and I say this now, term limits so we don't have to put up with these same characters over and over again. Ted Malik, as always, uh, very thought-provoking and helpful. Thank you. The piece is over at American Greatness. I will post it up on uh, social media. Again, the uh, the title of it is the uh, You Can, You Can Trust, You Can Trust Them. The World Economic has, Forum has a narrative for you, and it goes through how they're uh, laying that out. Thanks, Ted, for your time. Good. All right. We'll take a break. Everywhere. We'll be right back. Oh, wait, Ted, wait, Ted, Ted, Ted. They always ask me, what's next? You got to tell me what's next. Oh, I lost him. I'm going to have to give him grief. We lost him. Sorry. He loves to tell us what he's working on next. So, uh, well, we'll get that from him as soon as he's ready. All right. We will take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. 
We will be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, writes a column each week with his brother, Andy. They co-author a column, the Schlafly Report, continuing the tradition of their late mother, Phyllis Schlafly, who wrote a weekly column for almost 50 years. And uh, John and Andy's column runs over townhall.com and is also archived at phyllisschlafly.com. All of the columns are there. Uh, John and Andy's columns, it's now going on years and years that they've been writing them. There's a lot in the archive there this week's column the title is gop charges ahead on education welcome back john how are you uh good ed how are you today i'm doing fine you know earlier in the week i was at a meeting in washington dc and there was speakers one after another that stood up and talked about education savings accounts and how quickly it was moving across the country. Iowa has passed a law uh, that allows the governor there pushed for it universally. It's not just for inner city. It's not just for disabled kids, which is sometimes the way they, you know, the the, the uh, uh, school choice movement will move. Iowa uh, uh, leading the nation just a few weeks ago in passing that. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned here that um, uh, Donald Trump had a message, uh, education message. And my question to you is, it felt like school choice was never really moving. It was on the edges, never took off. Is it taken off now? Well, I would say slow, slowly. I mean, the education savings accounts are a gimmick. Uh, you know, will <laughs> that remains to be seen? Seeing how you know how you know how they're rolled out. You know, I think with the, the numbers haven't really changed that much. That uh, about. Ninety percent of school children are in public schools, and ten percent in non-public schools. So, I mean, education savings accounts are designed to give uh, parents some dollars to apply toward alternatives to the public schools. Now, well, the message that Trump rolled out was quite imaginative, and his goal is to give parents more choice within the public schools, and uh, that could have a much bigger impact, I think, than than the than the then the the, cho- the choice um, ideas that are being pushed in Iowa and a couple of other states. Uh, before we get to that, John, uh, I want you to tell me more about that, and it's in the column. We're talking with John Schlafly. I do want to make this comment. Um, I um, I was with our mutual friend Richard Vagary a week or two ago, and he gave me something to read, and it was, was something he had written a few years ago. And and at the end of it, it said, "Read, read, read." He, he his 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 encouragement was, "If you're going to do the X or Y and this or that, the other thing," he said, "You have to be reading all the time." Uh, in your piece, you do refer to the the problem of too many people not being good readers and the schools which are are teaching sight reading and other gimmicks and we have less we have a problem with more and more people reading and your mother the late phyllis Schlafly, uh, cared about this enough that she wrote her own uh book on it uh, uh, meaning not a book on the subject but a book on how to teach your kids how to read um is that john are we winning that battle is that battle coming in the right direction um well, first of all, um, yes, Phyllis was a lifelong champion of uh, the uh, phonics method as the only reliable way to teach children to read. And uh, most children perform much, much better with a thorough uh, 
hundred percent uh, phonics drilling as their method of reading, but it's it is um, labor intensive because to teach a child to read through the phonics method requires one teacher or one parent and one child. It doesn't work in a classroom, and so yeah, there are uh, public schools will now say that yeah they use phonics, and yeah they have phonics gimmicks, but they're not really doing it in the way that it needs to be done. Um, you know, I will just say that a child learning to read is like learning to play the piano. Okay. Don't learn to play the piano by watching somebody else play the piano. You don't have a group of children in a classroom with uh, each child is at a different piano, and the teacher says, okay, now, you know, tell the whole class to do your scales. No, it's one-on-one. It's got to be that way. And, you know, public schools are not really set up to doing that. So, Phyllis, as you know, championed the idea of parents or other caring adults, grandparents, teaching a young child to read before he or she enters school. And so that they're all, they've already passed that hurdle to cover the building blocks of basic phonemic awareness, is what the, the jargon is, right. which means attaching sounds to letters okay. before they even get into the classroom. Uh, John, I've never, I've never thought about this until you just said it. The piano uh, reference is a good one. Um, uh, but that is one of the, that, I, I've never even put this together. That's one of the characteristics of the so-called government schools is, you know, uh, assembly. Uh, is it right? There was a assembly line, but teaching a whole bunch of people something all at once, as opposed to one-on-one. And I, I've never heard that, uh, sort of, uh, taken apart. I mean that, you know, and, and frankly, you have a lot less trouble one-on-one uh, assessing what strengths or weaknesses, problems, you know, issues someone's having obviously and getting them moving through it. Right. So that, that, that I don't, I hate to do this, but that may be the most important characteristic of, of the kind of education, uh, reading teaching you're talking about is one-on-one. Yeah. Reading is crucial and it's the foundation and the building block of all forms of education. And what we have are children who are getting past the first grade. You know, what we're talking about should be done by the end of the first grade. And, you know, but we're getting kids in the second, third, fourth, and even into high school where they're not good readers. And, uh, you know, it just handicaps their entire life. Um, if it's If it's not done at the right age, it's harder later, really. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 all right. Now back for a second to the column. We're talking with John Schlafly. His column this week is uh, GOP charges ahead on education. Uh, I, I, you mentioned the creativity. You thought the creativity of uh, of Donald Trump's message on education. I I am aware, uh, John, of uh, the experience of of conservatives over the decades um, that get sort of um, I don't, hoodwinked is too strong, but they get uh, they get. Um, uh, lured into a school choice choice battle that's almost impossible to win. You know, I, I, when when most of the country sends their kids to uh, public schools, it's hard to say your public school is bad. It's like telling someone their congressman is bad. Everybody's everybody's against all of Congress except their congressman. They reelect him. Everybody's against public schools. They think they're all corrupt except the one they send their kid to school in. Uh, explain to me what but, Trump was doing here. Plus, you know most. You know, most non-public schools have many of the same defects of the public schools. So you're not really, I mean, private school, I mean, and, and you know, because textbooks, 
right. you know, they're all, right. uh, they're all, you know, covered, you know, Right, right, Brian, right. Even focus a, on even, the bad thing. And, and John, pardon me to interrupt. Even my son, who's in a you know a very uh, small and more conservative classical curriculum, he's taken AP U.S. history. He's got to use the AP U.S. history book, and it, and that book is uh, is a disaster. So to your point, I'm, I'm making your point. Even private schools yeah. are are being overrun by the values. But go, go ahead, back to the the exactly. Your yeah, but 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 what now, was Trump? What's Trump doing with this? Uh, his vision. Well, well, you know, a cynic might say he's he's cynic might say that Trump is trying to catch up with Ron DeSantis, who has made education his issue and doing a great job in Florida. But but Trump is charging ahead, and I think he's pulling ahead of DeSantis. I would just encourage all of your listeners to find the video, which is four minutes forty one seconds that Donald Trump released last Friday. And just watch it and watch it over and over and over again. He's got so many points and so many wonderful initiatives packed into that short video. It was an introduction to an agenda for his presidential campaign on that subject. I mean, it was fantastic. Well, well, give, and, me, uh, give, me, give me the highlights, John. Give me your highlights of it, please. Okay. Well, uh, just to take one uh, highlights, he had, I don't know where, the, I don't know if he thought this up himself. But his idea was, as far as giving parents choice in public schools, he would allow parents to elect or select or remove their school principal by oh, yeah. voting yeah. on the principal. Yeah. Now, isn't that a great idea? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, now, and, and of course, and, and, there's and, mechanics and, of getting that done. Right. But exactly. the principal is the person who really sets the standard for what is really accomplished in any school. And a good principal makes a good school. And Trump had the, you know, insight to recognize that. It's. Um, I did think that, and that it's an It's also an acknowledgement that um, you have. Uh, uh, it's hard to go through the layer of accountability of the school boards, even though lots of conservatives are rolling the school boards into a better direction. It's just it's one more layer of bureaucracy, you know, that that uh, that uh, pulls through. Uh, John, speaking of that, uh, on the Trump DeSantis uh, comment, Nikki Haley says she's running for president. What's your early assessment of the field? Well, my. I assessment of the field is it's 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 Donald Trump way ahead and everyone else fighting for the table scraps basically. Uh no, I don't think any of them have a chance to be even 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 vice president, not alone president. Uh Nikki Haley, I mean come on, that's just ridiculous. Do you do uh, you think that DeSantis if you're counseling DeSantis do you tell him next time don't bother this time? Yeah, I think DeSantis will step back uh, and wait and see how it shakes out. Um uh, now, if, of course, if Donald Trump is indicted, you know, people most say that would shake up the field. Uh, personally, I just think that'll be just one more, uh, <laughs> one more hurdle for, uh, Donald Trump to overcome as he's over- overcome all those other hurdles, but it could happen. Well, no less an authority, no less an authority than Michael Cohen. I can't remember which of Trump's lawyers have stabbed him in the back, but I think he did. But Michael Cohen said if they indict Trump for some some criminal uh, thing, he'll just turn it into a, a, a cartoon. Here comes the deep state again, you know. And I think at this point, at this point, I think that I think that's right. I, I hate to I hate to encourage the the left. If they had wanted to indict him, they should have done it about eighteen months ago, and it could have been like, oh, he got in trouble for something. Now it'll just look like he's out there running for president and. Uh, you're going to do that to him? Oh, man, we're sick of this. I think that's the direction. All right, John, we got to yeah. go. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Did you want to finish with something? 
Well, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Justice Department has been, you know, compromised and sidelined due to what's happened to Biden. But we've still got local prosecutors in New York City, Alvin Bragg, and the one in uh, Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, both of whom are put, trying to put together uh, a plan to charge Trump for something. Yeah. Well, They've been I working think... on it for the last couple of years. Been working on it ever since Trump was in office. Really? Yeah. yeah well, uh, what about hey, John? So, uh, John, uh, John I we haven't mentioned. I think we talked about it once, but uh, the FBI had to raid uh, uh, Joe Biden's uh, beach house. Um, and what? Well, the, the buried lead there, if I can say, is that Joe Biden, after being vice president and a senator for years, uh, within about 10 minutes of, of leaving office, he had a beach house. He had another home. He had another home. He had another home. I, I'm sorry. I guess I, 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 I wish we'd see some. Uh, financial uh, uh, financial um, forensics on what the Bidens were doing to make all this money. Well, Peter Schweitzer, who did a number on Hillary Clinton six years ago, and now he's been, he's been done some good work on getting to that. But we need an official investigation, no question about it, because uh, the, the strong evidence that Hunter Biden, Bill Biden's son, had access to those. Yeah. Uh, classified documents and used them, deliberately used them in order to uh, share with the foreign uh, people who were providing funding to the Biden family. And, uh, and you know, that's that. No, we can't. The, even the Democrat, that should be too much, yeah. even for the Democrat. You know, uh, John, right now, I think I started to tell you or maybe I was telling somebody the other night that. Uh, um, but. In Europe right now, in the EU, there's a scandal of uh, Qatar spending hundreds of millions of dollars to bribe everybody. And one of the things that they're doing is passing the money through some of these uh, nonprofits that are uh, situated in Brussels to, uh, no kidding, to fight impunity, to be fighting against dictators. Looks like a a half a million or a million dollars went through this thing, you know, as passed through. I mean, the the Clinton Foundation probably was uh, all this stuff on steroids in terms of hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's clear. Uh, Hunter Biden was at least small I, small P influence peddling, whether that's a crime or not. I don't know. But he clearly was peddling his influence to get uh, to get uh, uh, the family. Uh, I don't know, on uh, on their feet. So, uh, all right, I got to run, John. I'm out of time. John Schlafly, everybody, the column. I will put it over on uh, social media as well. You can find all the columns archived. Phyllis dot com. We will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, excuse me. Yes, com. I hope I said that. And also townhall.com. You can get the column there. Uh, be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The Internet is a powerful tool that most of us use every single day. Many people turn to online resources to find the definition of words they cannot define for themselves. Chief among these resources is Dictionary.com, which made an astounding selection for their 2022 Word of the Year. You might expect a Word of the Year to be high and lofty, like prestidigitation or even anti-disestablishmentarianism. Instead, Dictionary.com gave the title of Word of the Year to the humble word, woman. 
As they explained it, the word saw a 1,400% increase in searches when Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asked Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson if she could define what a woman is. Jackson famously responded by saying that she could not define what a woman is because she's not a biologist. Dictionary.com deserves our gratitude for highlighting this landmark moment from 2022. However, they concluded their explanation for this choice on a very cringeworthy note. Dictionary.com wrote, The dictionary is not the last word on what defines a woman. The word belongs to each and every woman, however they define themselves. Dictionary.com may be correct to point out that they are not the ultimate arbiters of how the word woman is defined. However, they talk as though the word's definition is as fluid as the opinions of those who claim the title, and that's just preposterous. If the popular opinion of anyone claiming to be a woman decides its definition, how do we agree upon the definition of any other word in the English language? Is the definition of a policeman only determined by those that claim to be policemen? Is the definition of a lawyer determined only by those that identify as lawyers? Is the definition of a rock determined by anyone who identifies as a rock? The answer to all of these rhetorical questions is a resounding no. Our language is comprised of agreed-upon standards that have stood the test of time. So-called trans women pestering all of us to flip the most basic definitions just to play along with mental delusions, they do not get to have the last word. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Political correctness is no longer simply about restricting speech. This tool for tyranny has led to employees being fired, pastors silenced, small businesses closed, and truth suppressed. Thankfully, the politically correct can't censor the work at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you? At phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, interesting development. I don't know if you're following this, uh, um, the um, AI, artificial intelligence. One of the most popular apps is called ChatGPT. ChatGPT, it's a, um, uh, an AI company. And you basically can use it. It's free. It's been free. They're going to start a subscription service. That's one of the reasons they're in the news. But you can use it. And you could put in a couple of things and the AI will basically create a meme, write an essay for you, write an introductory paragraph, and they do it really well. Now, here's an interesting thing. <laughs> Someone's developed an app that can tell if your uh, paragraph or your paper has been written by AI. Now, that reminds me of um, when they had these um, uh, programs that were, and it probably is some form of artificial intelligence, that they can scan and see if you've, uh, if you've copied and pasted off the internet, right? That's just a pure sort of search engine thing. Uh, this is actually going to be able to do an analysis of what's uh, in the text and how it's put together and is it done by AI. But here's the thing I want to say. <clears throat> do we have any idea? Do we have any idea how powerful this is going to be? I, I don't. I don't. But insofar as the social media companies and the big uh, tech, big tech companies have been able to use algorithms and use high, high, high speed Internet, excuse me, high speed processing to assess what you like in real time. Right. They can test words and memes and things and see what you like or what you share. And they can process that really quickly. 
And now we've got AI coming into this even more. I mean, the, the speed with which this is moving is really extraordinary. And I, I don't know how it's all good. I think a lot of it's going to be bad. Bad for people, bad for society. I will see. We'll see. But it certainly is strange how fast it's happening. It's amazing to see how fast it's happening. Uh, so check that out. I, I like looking at chat. GPT, which is a company, um, the uh, oh, that's an app, Chat GPT. The company, the company's called OpenAI. And uh, anyway, learn more about it. All right, we got to take a, we got to run. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great, great producer, and also uh, Ryan Hyde, associate producer, who helps us with a lot of this. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. It's the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.